So I'm sitting there the other night. I get a message on Instagram. I look down and this girl's like, I've been listening to your podcast. And by the way, how did you find me? Kind of weird in a way, isn't it? Turns out this young lady I knew from Canadian Music Week. She's written for Disc Makers Magazine. She's had a very successful career over the past 15 years as an independent artist. And right now, I'm excited to share her story with you. So first off, I just want to say welcome to the podcast. And before we jump into the episode, let me tell you a little bit about myself and what you can expect. Uh, I have been in the business now for coming up on 30 years. What we're going to talk about in this podcast are things that go on in my day-to-day life, whether it be as a manager, whether it be as a consultant, whether it be as someone who is creating products that's helping musicians all over the world. If there's something going on in the industry, we're going to talk about it. If there's a strategy that needs to be taught, we're going to talk about it. And if there's some way that I can help get you closer to your goal, then you are in the right place because that's what we are going to talk about here on the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now let's jump into the episode. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you in person, finally. Yes, in person, virtually. Yeah, so where are you located? I don't know if I have enough light here. Let me move a little. Um, I'm located in Chile, actually. I lived in the United States for about 15 years. So now you're completely based in Chile. Yeah, I have two kids, and I moved here about four years ago when I had my second son. I mean, my second okay. child, my first son. Right. And uh, I grew up here, and uh, and then I moved to the States when I went to college. And um, and I lived there until about four years ago, but I, I wanted to raise my kids in South America, and I wanted Wonderful. them to be close to family, so I came back. Very nice. Well, it sounded like it worked out perfect for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, nothing is perfect, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) You know, life has its up and downs, but I'm happy here. I think I'm, I, I'm very grateful for all the years I spent in the U.S. I, I learned so much and I feel like now I, I'm a, I'm like a, I'm an, um, I consider myself a research junkie. Okay. I love information. I love learning so much, which made me a huge geek in, in high school. I mean, in school, it wasn't very popular to be so into learning, but uh, now it serves me well. And, very um, nice. And it's a very young industry here. Like, there's not a lot of development in the music industry. And so, are there a lot of musicians? I mean, is it is there a demand for it yet, or are you on the cutting edge of creating? I think it? I'm on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of music, and there's a lot of musicians, but the industry is is in its infancy. So there's a lot of opportunity for me to develop and teach and and help the industry grow, which is great. But so when you say time, industry, so I noticed that you're kind of running an independent label and you're also helping people with publishing and things like that. So you mean that type of industry, that type of infrastructure to help people understand how to protect their music, get their music to digital distribution platforms and things like that? Yeah, I mean, everything. Like I think around the world, musicians just are not very savvy or aware about the business part of the music. music. I think artists in general, we love to create, but we don't love 
to do business so much, especially to think of the arts that we create as a business. So there's like a, a, a natural aversion to even thinking of music in that way. Uh, but that is a horrible pitfall to fall into because if you want to make a living doing what you love, you have to learn to make a living doing it or else you're going to well, have you to need to learn the business. business. Yeah, you yeah. need to learn the business and know where the money's at. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have to make money doing something else. And so um, I, you know, I, div- I started uh, the label and the publishing company just to release my own stuff. And I started syncing music for licensing music for film and TV. And eventually I realized that I was running three companies or one company with three different functions. And I started and that I had all these opportunities for music that wasn't for myself, because like if they wanted a punk song, I don't do punk music. Right, right. I already had the connection. I had the connection on both sides. I knew the punk band. I knew the music supervisor. I just didn't have the music. So I started representing other artists. Eventually, I moved to Chile. I opened the company here. I got a couple of government grants that I uh, won and secured that helped me grow the business. And, um, and then I started sub-publishing large catalogs like Rough Trade, uh, Westbury Music, Native Tongue, etc. For sub-publishing and also neighboring rights. And and then I had a business partner. We are no longer working together. So my company took a little turn because I had to reevaluate what I really wanted to continue doing. And, um, and now I'm getting rid of a lot of the self-publishing catalogs, but I do continue to do the sync aspect of it. And I do music licensing in the U.S. and in de- various different territories. And I have partners all over the world, as well as Chile, which is a very, de- it's an industry I'm developing because really Well, that's your low-hanging no- fruit because you're there and you are Chilean. Yeah. So, I mean, exactly. it works out well for you. I love your sea bass, by the way. Oh, thank you. And also, there's no really anybody else. Music licensing isn't a thing here. So, like, right. I'm pretty much sort of developing that. So, how are you developing? And, and before we go any further, why don't we tell everyone who you are? Uh, so, Are we on a podcast now? I'm recording, baby. I record everything. Oh, my God. I didn't know. Why waste all that good stuff and not let people, you know, I we're on Zoom. It's recording the whole entire thing. I should have so. known. I should have known. I would have prepared that's, myself better. No, that's okay. No, I, see, I do conversations. I don't do interviews. Yeah. And this is a conversation. So let me set the table here real quick. So the other night, I'm sitting out by the fire. I'm on Instagram. And I get this Instagram message. And it comes in. And it says... Hi, Rick. Thanks for the follow. Curious about how you found me. I'm checking out your podcast. Like you, I'm also trying to add my grain of sand from a DIY standpoint after 15 years of developing my career solo. Here's an article I wrote for the CD Baby DIY blog. Would love to connect and see how we can collaborate. Best, Yael. And then she sends me the list. By the way, you and I were both at uh, CMW last year. and that might be, That might be where we met or connected because I did a keynote there last year. And I know you were there last year. As I, I went did. back and did my research, I followed a lot of people that were going to be speakers nice. or folks that oh, are there. that makes sense. So her and I just, all of a sudden, she started listening to the podcast. We started talking. Uh, I said, you should be a guest on my podcast. Would love to. Now here we are. So yeah, I didn't yeah, know so today was the day. <laughs> Instagram, you know, this was just a couple days ago. And now here we are. I'm in Nashville. You're in Chile. And so tell everybody a little bit about you, your background as an artist, and then 
what it is that you're doing to help people. We heard a whole bunch of that just now, what you're right. doing now as the badass that you are, but what led you to this point? I don't think I'm such a badass, but thanks. I think I'm just, I think I'm an entrepreneur, you know, and I think entrepreneurship requires uh, just having a lot of ideas and going for them and failing a lot of time. But see, most artists won't do that. And I'll tell you why. So I just did an article, somebody called, it was for Canadian music magazine. And they said, Hey, we want to do a thing about how musicians, should be on, uh, need to be entrepreneurs and all this. I said, well, you know what? I said, here's the thing is I said, there aren't a lot of entrepreneurial artists because entrepreneurial entrepreneurs, they're willing to get punched in the face and artists yes. aren't, you exactly. know, entrepreneurs aren't afraid of anything. Artists are afraid of everything. Or I think that <laughs> entrepreneurs, we are afraid. I, at least I know I am afraid of stuff, but See, I'm not. It's like, but it's, I don't let fear paralyze me. That's got it. See, that's, that's key. You know, it's that's not, key. It's not that I'm not scared. It's yeah. that I do it anyway. See, that's what most artists won't do though. So that's that fine line. And I, I don't think entrepreneurship is something you can teach. Uh, I think it's either a part of you. You can learn how to be a business owner. You can learn how to do things. But entrepreneur is that word that's thrown around a lot. But it's like when you're ready to sit down and not really care what anybody else thinks, when you're ready to say, you know what, I'm going to do something. And if I fail, I'm going to keep doing it or I'm going to find a better way to do it. That's to me what an entrepreneur is. And the way that you're identifying all these opportunities and filling that plug, that's how entrepreneurs think too. Most musicians, respectfully, folks, don't think like that. I agree. Uh, and I think you that that are is, all on it. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. And I think that that's something that I've noticed and that I decided that I wanted to help people yep. start that's thinking smart. about the music in a different way. And I'll tell you how it happened for me. I, I've been a musician all my life. Uh, when I was about 17 years old, my dad sat me down and said, listen, if you want to make music for a job, great. If you want to go to school for it, perfect. If you want to be a doctor, I'll support you just as much, but whatever you decide, you need to do it with the same commitment, determination, and seriousness. Um, so I applied for a scholarship and I got the scholarship and I went and I moved from Chile to the U S to go to music school. I went to Berkeley and, um, and music school taught me how to be a better musician, but it didn't teach me how to make a living making music. So when I got got out of school, I spent pretty much about four or five years just studying the industry from the inside, like looking at artists that I liked and that whose business model I wanted to emulate and trying to understand. Who did you look at? You know, at that time, music licensing was just starting out. It wasn't a big thing. Uh, Ingrid Michaelson had gotten like her first song on the first show. And her career started to take off from there. I I had met Lynn at some point in this time in LA and I was in touch with her. And I I just really loved what they were doing together. I thought that was such an incredible business model. And and also, it was a time where the music industry was falling on its head. I mean, the record labels were not signing people. Right. Uh, I had a lot of friends signed to labels that wouldn't release their music, and they were stuck in a contract. And I realized I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to own my copyrights and see how far I could take this on my own. So I focused on, on, on developing an independent business model and seeing how far I could take it. And I started pursuing licensing uh, as, as part of what I wanted to do. I had a child at that time. Uh, and I realized, you know, if somebody, if I'm going to have to make a living, which I do, uh, it's going to take me away from my child. And 
I don't want to be away from my child. So if I'm going to be away from my child, it has to be something that is worth my time. Sure. And that makes me feel purposeful and gives me joy because otherwise I'm going to hate my life. And music is the only thing that I feel like if I'm not going to be with my child, then I want to be creating, you know, I want to be making music and I want to be making a living doing that. And that's where my mindset changed from making music because I'm an artist and a purist right. to making music because I'm an artist and because I have to pay bills. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Now, what, so you left Berkeley. So what did you learn? And, and a lot of people, what did Berkeley teach you about the current music business? Or when you left Berkeley, you were like, wow, this is like nothing that I learned in school. And now I've got to go in and conquer this. I knew the lingo, you knew the lingo, you knew about recording and all that kind of stuff. But how much did it prepare you for what you became today? A lot, actually. But because of I had one class, and that one class was the only business class I ever took. And it it was fantastic. It was yeah. called Legal Aspects of the Music Industry. Legal Aspects? Legal Aspects of the Music okay. Industry. And I have a passion also for sort of, I mean, I, I told you I'm a research junkie. I love learning. Yeah. So um, the law is something that I'm also sort of passionate about. Like I like understanding how things work. Um, and the teacher was amazing, but he came from a time where, you know, you would pay, pay, it was pale on radio stations. It still is. But back in the day, it was, you know, a, a little bag of Coke and you got yeah. your music placed. And that, right. those, were the, those were the stories he would tell us. But that wasn't relevant for where the music industry was going. And nobody knew where the music industry was going because the, in, the industry was changing. The MP3 came out. Napster was, you know in court, uh, record labels wanted to shut down the MP3. Apple came out with its first iPod. It was this war between the digital era, the old school and the new school, sort of trying to stop the inevitable. And nobody really knew what the industry was going to be. So there wasn't anything that they could do to prepare us, except for teach us about our rights and what, uh, what copyrights were, what publishing was intellectual property so how to protect it so that's what you left with berkeley was how to protect your music and that aspect of things and how to understand the value of it you know well that's what i tell people right now is it's like these schools it's not their fault that they aren't current because if they tried to stay current with the business that's changing every month they would have to rewrite curriculum they would never be able to keep their accreditation so now they're like okay let's just kind of give this and then we'll bring in adjuncts to teach what's currently happening now to keep everybody happy. Because you always have to know the history, folks. Yes. Don't, if you want to understand, true. you've got to understand the history. But what you just said is so important is that you also need to know legally what, you're, what, what your rights are and how yes. to protect yourself because it's yes. your business. And also how contracts work. What is normal? What is a normal publishing contract look like? Publishing was changing. Co-publishing deals were becoming more prevalent. What is the difference between a publishing deal, a co-publishing deal, an admin deal, and what the percentages are? And right. what is my leverage there? Like, what can I ask for and get away with? You know, because I want to get away with giving as little as possible and getting as much as possible. That's business, right? And something that is fair that allows the publisher to do their job and make money, but also protects me and my rights so that I can get away from this contract if I'm not happy and keep my rights. And also for the duration of this contract, be able to make money as well. 
So, and not just give everything away. And I find so many artists give so much away because they don't know what they're giving away. Or they want to say, well, I have a publishing deal. Congratulations. You're making $18,000 a year. They own 100% of the publishing until you recoup. And by the way, unless you get a song on the radio, you're probably not going to recoup for a while. So yes, you have a publishing deal, but you're an $18,000 a year employee that has no rights. Congratulations. And also you're stuck. Sometimes you gave them away in perpetuity because you have no idea what that means or you have no idea that you can sign a contract for three or five years, which is, you know, more what is the norm rather than, but people try to take advantage of artists all the time. And well, here, let, but let me, let me stop you there for a second. No one can be taken advantage of if they know what to look for. Agreed. If you get If you get taken advantage of, it's your fault, people, not anyone else, because like she just said, she wants to know what rights she has, what bargaining tools that they have. It's not the record company's fault if you decided to bring your aunt, who's a real estate attorney, to look at your contract because you wanted to save money. If you want to be protected, you get entertainment attorneys. If you want to sign a publishing deal, get an entertainment attorney that's good at publishing deals, that understands what reversion means, understands what what recoupment is, understands what it means to get a portion of your percentages back. But I don't think that anyone purposely goes out and tries to screw anyone. The smart person's always going to ask for the most, and then that's when the negotiation starts. But if you're not smart enough to know how to negotiate, fire your attorney if you sign a bad deal. Don't be mad at the record company or the publishing company. Well, I think that a part of it also is just being, uh, not having the experience. And so you don't know what's normal. You don't know what to expect and you don't necessarily have anybody to ask. And, and artists are very desperate because they want to make it. They want to succeed. They don't know how the tools, they don't have the money. They don't have the information. And then somebody comes and offers you heaven and earth and you want to believe them. You want to believe that this is the real deal, that this is your opportunity. And you're afraid that if you stand out for yourself and you ask for something that you want or that say something that you you don't want, um, then you're going to lose the opportunity. And so you don't ask for what you want. So let, and let me, let me ask you this, because this is bringing up a great conversation and a great point is that it's like, there's no shortage of places to get the information. Uh, I know artists that cry broke, but will go buy a $5,000 guitar or a new right. amp but they don't want to spend 150 bucks to get with an attorney to protect their rights. So at what point do we stop babying artists and letting them think that, Oh, poor little you, you're just a little artist. You don't know any better. At what point do we start smacking them around a little bit and say, look, professor Google is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What make, cause I had somebody say something to me and I had to say something respectfully to him is one we get a lot of people that will argue, I will never pay for information. Okay, then you know what? I don't feel sorry for you then when you get taken advantage of because the information is available. You paid for school. You you pay to learn the law. You know, you pay with time. A lot of people don't understand that you're either paying with money or time. So yeah. you kind of figure out what it is that you want to do. But he said something to me one day as we were doing, I was doing a webinar uh, for artists and 
it was like we were talking about sync and licensing and we did two hours. I had my buddy who's had 2,200 placements. He knows what he's doing, has a great program. And the guy goes, Rick, thank you so much for all the quality information you guys provided. And thank you for not being one of those guys that tries to take, to ask artists for money. And I just thought for a second and I went, he said, and then he said, made it sound like why not trying to sell something. So I asked him for his phone number. He gave me his phone number. I call him up. I said, listen, I said, let me just clarify something real quick. Every time I open my mouth, I'm selling. I said, whether I'm trying to get my kids to do their clothes, whether I'm trying to get my wife to go out on a date, whether I'm trying to build a w credibility with what it is. I may not be asking for a dollar amount at that time. I may not be asking for something, but everything we do in life, when my mouth's open, I'm selling myself as authority as this is that I said but let me ask you this I said I said to him I said where is it that musicians ever got off that no one was supposed to ever ask them for anything I said let me give you this analogy and I said imagine this I said so you want me to perform for two hours which is what I'm doing but you don't want me to ask for anything in return and I shouldn't be expected to be paid is that what you're saying he said yeah, pretty much. I said, great. So what you're telling me then is somebody has a venue. They say, listen, Tim, I want you to come perform. You give the best show that you can, provide the best show possible. By the way, I'm not going to pay you. And I'm also not going to give you the opportunity to set up a merchandise table and charge people for things that they may want to buy based on the performance that you gave. How would you feel about that? And he was like, holy shit. I didn't even realize. I said, that's how it comes along. It's like artists get so upset when people want their music for free, but they want everything for free. And I'm like, that's just karma. You know, at some point you need to understand what can we do? And that's just how, why I do these podcasts and things to better, better educate the artists to say, look, guys, there's no gatekeepers now. There's, you don't have to ask anybody's permission to put your music out. You don't have to ask anybody's permission to get in front of a worldwide audience. That's a good thing. You know, that's not a bad thing. So let's get them out of this. Cause if people always think like a broke person, they'll always be a broke person. You know, they need to start. And I wish that we could just eject whatever you had and put it into other artists. It says, dude, I see opportunity. Well, you know, that, that's, it's like, that's kind of what I'm trying to do at this point, because a lot of artists, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of things in, in, my, in my life and in my career. You know, I've toured different countries. I've played in Germany, in Cuba, in Chile, in the States. I've toured all throughout the United States. I've played in Hungary. I've played, I've had music placed in, in Australia, in the U.S., in Chile, in, in England. And I've had songs in Korea, in, in TV shows, like major TV shows. Who did you have that opened up that first door for you? Or how did you oh, open up that first door? I don't, I, it was pretty much me. That's the truth. Um, I, I start, I really dedicated a, a few years just uh, learning at the industry side. And I would go to Starbucks and I would sit there for five, six hours and I would email all the music supervisors in LA and I would, uh, oh, and I, know. And I would email all the blogs that I could find and I would build the databases myself. I would just do crawls and searches through the internet and just find one email that led me to another. And it was hours and hours and hours and hours of just trial and error and building things. And uh, eventually uh, my business partner and I 
uh, we, I bought a ticket for South by Southwest and then, and there was, um, there was a conference, what, one of these panels with uh, Alex Patsavas, and he went there with my CD, and she said, okay, we're going to listen to one song, uh, to a, f- a few songs for, uh, just for feedback, and he just raised his hand desperately, and, um, and she picked him because he was making such a big fuzz about it. And they listen, and, and, and he said, if they play one song, which song? And I said, this song, you know? And so when she said, okay, which song? I said, and he said, this song. This song, right. This song. And she, and she heard it and she said, well, actually, that's a great song. I could totally hear it on A, B, C, D, E. And about two months later, we got an email with a sync request for that song. And it was a license for parenthood. Sorry for private practice. Right. Uh, it was it was a fifteen thousand dollar license. Woo! And um, I own all my rights, so it was half for the publishing, half for the master. And with that money, I paid for the entire album that followed, and I synced every single song on that record to some film, some t- TV show. Did or you start album. working with a library, or did you just continue to reach out so to these people individually? I, I started. I continued reaching out to people. I signed with a, with on and on different times in my sure. life. I've, I've worked with different companies, sometimes exclusive, sometimes non-exclusively. Now yep. I do not ever work exclusively with anyone because I'm way too proactive for that. Right. Right. Um, and I ended up building my own sync company out of that. And now I represent other artists and I work with partners all around the world and, and different projects. But you said so, something earlier that I want to go back to. You said, yeah, they wanted a punk song and I don't sing punk. Are right. you actively... <laughs> looking for catalogs to represent or are you actively looking to build I do. your catalog? I actively yeah. look for catalog, but I don't spend a lot of time doing it. Right. But what I do do is that I network a lot. And in that networking, just catalogs come to me or I meet yeah. artists that I really like, or I listen to a live show of someone that I really enjoy. And, and I do podcasts like this um, and interviews and guest yep. speaking and I go to music markets and people just come up to me. I but do not have the time to listen to all the stuff that people sure. send me. Well, and that's what I explained to people too. My, my buddy, Michael, I keep bringing him up and I'm going to actually send you some stuff that he did. We just did a workshop with some artists and what we were explaining to them is to say, look, here's the problem most artists make. He has this four part series. It's catalog. Let's build your catalog. Let's get your music right. Alternate mixes, metadata. Now reach out to the supervisors and Correct. the editors. Most people record a song, send it to the supervisor. Yeah. It sits on the desks and he's like, yeah. Rick, no one's listening to music. They don't have time. They're going to go in their computers. They're going to type in words. They're going to go down to the funnel. They're going to get down to 10 songs. And then they're going to go listen to those 10 songs. Right. But you've got to be able to bring yourself down. And that's what we've been teaching everyone and it's been really well because a lot of my older artists that have all this old catalog with the alternative mixes have been getting cuts you know they've been getting oh my gosh they took this 30 second part and i made 2500 bucks from it you know it's like there's all these little licensable pieces and things like that so it's so great to hear what it is that you've been able to continue if people want to find out more about you uh where is it that they can go and then let's talk a little bit about this program Right. So that's where I was going. So basically, I, you know, in Chile, my music is played on the radio. I've I've tried to build a very, uh, a business that is, that has feet and roots in every single aspect of the industry. And so 
artists come up to me and they want to they want to learn they want to know how i did it they want to know how to do it they want to know what to do next they're thirsty for information and for guidance and for mentorship and of course they you know ask if i can have coffee with them and i'm happy to have coffee but in an hour i'm not going to be able to help you a lot and i also can't have coffee with everyone you know as much as i like coffee not unless they're planning on coming to chile <laughs> But I travel a lot, you know, I go to the States, to Canada, I'm in Europe a couple of times a year. So, um, so eventually a friend of mine said, yeah, Elle, you have so much to share. Why don't you just teach it? Like set up a, a you know, set up a, a course and just give it over. So for the past couple of years, I've been doing that in Chile and giving over a, a live course um, here. And now I decided that it's time to, I've, I've tested it out enough. I know that it works. I know what's important and I know what's not and know how to, how to do it and, and what, what helps people really, um, to develop their careers and their goals. And so now I'm taking this online and I'm starting this online course. And the, and the, and the real reason behind the course is that is basically I've done this for 15 years. I've learned by trying, by failing, by getting up and trying again. And I've sent thousands of emails in my life. And I would say 900 of them have gone and answered, you know, and, and I still send more emails, you know, and I still call people up and, and keep doing the hustle. And, and I've learned to, to build a business and it hasn't been easy. Right. And now I feel that I have all this wealth of information that I would have loved to have 15 years ago that you really can't learn anywhere except by just doing it. Well, and that's what I tell people too, is that it's like, you can't, I could never have your experience, but I could lease it from you. You could, you could sell it to me. You know, it's like, that's what we do is what we, what we sell is this. We sell time. We sell relationships. And knowledge. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of technical stuff. All the technical stuff that we know you could go also learn on the internet. If you want to spend all the time doing it, all the hours that she said she spent doing that. So that's what our knowledge gives you is your time back. Okay. Cause Hey, I encourage everybody to learn everything that you can, but if you right. want to speed up the process, it's like having a trainer at the gym, right. you can go work out and you can eat right. But those who have a nutritionist and a trainer seem to get better results faster. They're right. getting the same results. It just takes less time. So, uh, so is this course available yet? Or is this something that we're still working on? No, the course is, is absolutely available. I haven't opened enrollment there yet, okay. but, um, but, People if someone wants definitely. to get on a list, if someone wants yes. to get on a so list to be notified. Can go on the website of the course, it's, you can, um, can we link to it? We can, I'll put it in the show notes. So yeah, okay. you just tell me what the URL is. So it's DIY music career dot DIY music career dot teachable. Teachable.com. Got it. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes, folks, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and let's build, let's get some more Instagram followers. Where can they follow you on Instagram? At Yael Mayer Music. Y-A-E-L-M. E-Y-E-R. Got it. Music. All right. I could just talk to you for hours. And we almost did the other night on Instagram. That's why I'm glad yeah. we finally got a chance well, to do this. Well, we can this. do this again anytime we you will, want. I'm happy to share. Definitely. 
I really, honestly, the reason why I started this course is because I do want to, to help people. I think that there's room enough for everyone. And no matter what I tell anybody, it's once it's in your hands, it's in your hands. Like right. either you're going to do the work or you're not going to do the work. And you're only going to go as far as you want to take it with your, with your effort. But having the information and the tools at least can give you a head start if you have it in you to be very, um, to work hard and to be very focused about it, you know, and that's, that's the part that I can't do. And so I'm happy to continue this conversation with you because I just really want to put the information out there so that people can, you know, live the lives they want to live. I'm grateful that I get to do music for a living and spend time with my kids and travel the world and make the music that I want to make, which that's was key. really important for me. That's you know? key. That's key. All right, guys. Well, listen, appreciate you uh, checking out this episode of the podcast. If you're new to this, this was one of uh, one intriguing conversation. A lot of times <laughs> I'll be by myself. And a lot of times I find great folks on Instagram. But uh, head on over to musicindustryblueprint.com. You can grab a free copy of my book. If you'd like a physical copy, I've already paid for it. You just pick up the shipping. And also, too, is I have a replay of one amazing uh, training that I did called how to become a social media ninja in under an hour. You'll find all of that at musicindustryblueprint.com. Thanks again to my friends over at K Swiss, uh, for, you know, helping spread the word and helping inspire other CEOs to get their message out there. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Ciao. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water. You drown by staying there.